There's Hawaii 5 and now there is Smart Dribble 5 He launched his showbiz career, John, with a hoax. Perhaps the greatest professional athlete of all time. The only president to be elected, then not, and then elected again four years later. The first lady of television and the queen of comedy. She was the only woman, and she gave birth, and she was translating. The man who saved a billion lives. Hello, everyone. We are going to start today's episode with a public service announcement. If you think it's time to change the baking soda in your refrigerator, people, it's time. Are you talking from personal experience, Kurt? Yes, I am. All right. Well, listen, let me pick up since you're distracted by these kitchen crises. You are Kurt Schneider. I am John Ellenthal, and we are the co-hosts of Smart Dribble. And today is a very special Smart Dribble, Kurt. Do you know why? I believe it's our 50th episode, John. That is correct. There's Hawaii 5 and now there is Smart Dribble 5 Now, I hope we look back at some point years down the road and think, isn't it quaint that they decided to celebrate their 50th episode? But for now, it's where we are. It's what we've got. So happy 50th episode, Kurt, and all of our listeners. So listeners, we want to do two things with that. Three things. Number one is thank you, because we'd be nowhere without you. Well, we'd probably do it anyway, but we'd be nowhere without you. We probably would. And number two, you can do any one of the 50. Go back and listen to another one. If you haven't listened to all 50, which I'm hard-pressed to think anyone has listened to all of them, they're evergreen, listen to one. But number three, please tell your friends, because kind of like NPR or PBS, we're in a membership drive here. We want to get our membership up, up, up for our second 50 and our third 50. Please spread the smart drivel love. And the best part of our membership drive is we are not going to send you a tote bag. So everybody wins here. Why are they always a bad color of brown, those tote bags? I think we will do almost anything to get something for free, regardless of how disappointing the item is when it finally arrives. Because An impulse is a terrible thing to waste. Kurt, we have an excellent episode planned for today. One of my personal favorite episodes was an episode from a long time ago when we first got started called Dinner Party. And it was a smart dribble take on the classic question of, if you could have dinner with any three people from history, what it would be. Except we adapted that format to fit smart dribble And rather than answering that question individually, you and I decided to throw a dinner party where we each invite four or five guests. And to make it more fun, we each get one preemptory challenge. So if you were to suggest somebody that I think would not be a worthy member of our dinner party, not someone I would want to sit across the dinner table from, I get to use a preemptory challenge and that person will not be joining us. And of course, you have the same privilege. If I remember correctly, on the last dinner party, I challenged your very first one, like halfway out of your mouth, what the person did. Well, I think you showed... Restraint, like I always do. No, I think you fell into a classic trap. I knew you had a preemptory challenge. I put up a patsy as my first suggestion. You fell for it, used your challenge, giving me free reign for the rest of the episode to invite anybody I wanted to, knowing you couldn't do a damn thing about it. 
we're going to do the dinner party. I'm going to let you go first again. I am so excited about this one. This is someone I have always wanted to sit next to, always wanted to talk to, always wanted to do whatever we possibly could because she, I think, is one of the most fascinating people ever to live. Wow. And by the way, in order to start this, what I did this morning when I got up is something that she did every morning. She said, I brush my teeth and sharpen my tongue. Oh, very good. So I'm looking forward to meeting this guest. This would be, by the way, I was reminded of that quote by a listener of ours. This is the this, longest tease. in the <laughs> This would be, who is your guest? Of course, Dorothy Parker, John. Oh, my God. The oft quoted Dorothy Parker. So as our listeners know, Kurt has an obsession with gin martinis, and he often quotes Dorothy Parker. Why don't you kick us off by explaining why Dorothy Parker, with her famous quote about gin martinis. Okay, well, first of all, all right, I'll give the quote first. She said, I love a martini, two at the most. For three, I'm under the table, and four, I'm under my host. I accept her as a guest. After four martinis? <laughs> you know what? Exactly right. So tell us why you're dying to have dinner with Because she had a razor sharp wit. She had an incredible satirical mind. She was witty. She was smart. She was literate. She was an unbelievable writer. She was a short story writer, a poet, a screenwriter. And she was saying things. She was a trendsetter. She was saying things in the 20s that women men too, didn't say. So she was part of the founding members of the Algonquin Round Table. And one of her favorite quotes, they said, Dorothy, why have you not been to the 1925 Broadway season? She said, because I was too fucking busy and vice versa. 1924, John. Do you know that Dorothy Gale, G-A-L-E, from The Wizard of Oz, you get it, Gale? You know that Dorothy Gale is named after Dorothy Parker? I did not know that. That's because it's totally made up, Kurt. Well, why are you saying that? Because that's what we do on Smart. <laughs> but she, I would love Dorothy Parker, and she would be fantastic. All right. So I have no objection whatsoever, and I will be filling her martini glass often and completely. Okay. One last quote by her, and I promise you I'll stop. I doubt it. They said to her, Dorothy, please use the word horticulture in a sentence. And she said, you can lead a whore to culture, but you can't make her think. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. I look forward to having dinner at Dorothy Parker. And she sounds like a perfect anchor guest. Do not tell me more about Dorothy. No, what I'm going to tell you is I curated my guests that would sit next to each other. And so she has a co-person. Okay. Hang on a second. I don't know that we discussed how we're going to curate the seating arrangement. That makes <laughs> the debate. Well, I'm very happy with Dorothy Parker for a number of reasons. One, I know how important she is to you. So that's a plus. Number two, I'm very glad that you started off by inviting a woman because when you start looking through history, trying to find guests, while there are plenty of women, it's clear that history was written by a bunch of white guys and white guys tend to take up most of the air in the room. So yes, thank you for Dorothy Parker. My first guest. And there's just no way you're using your challenge challenge without exposing yourself as someone you do not want to be exposed as. My first guest is Eugene Lazowski. You probably haven't heard of Eugene 
Luke I have. Kowski because he is one of the unsung heroes of history, and he's going to sit at the unsung wing of our table. He was a Polish medical doctor who is, through his acts, earned the name the Polish Schindler. And he, through ingenuity, single-handedly saved 8,000 Polish Jews from near certain death at German concentration camps during the Holocaust. He worked with a friend to create a fake, a fake outbreak of an incredibly infectious disease called epidemic typhus. And the Germans were terrified of it because it was so highly transmissible. So what he did, awesome. he worked with a friend to come up with a quote-unquote vaccine that would actually inject basically dead bacteria into people. They wouldn't get sick, but they would test positive for this disease. Now, normally the Germans would just unfortunately exterminate people who tested positive, but outside the ghetto of Jews, he actually injected a bunch of non-Jews as well. And the Germans didn't want to get to the ghetto, and they ended up quarantining the whole area during the war. And because of his work, these 8,000 Polish Jews living in the ghetto were never sent to concentration camps and to their death. Eugene Lazowski, the Polish Schindler, he is known for saving lives, not for pithy martini quotes. There's room at the table. And I think that's very admirable. I have one concern, though. What happens when we all start singing karaoke? Why would he have an objection to karaoke? You said he was unsung. Oh, that's clever, Kurt. Okay, that's droll. I completely missed that. Your dry sense of humor there was so arid, it was almost evaporated. In any event, I love learning about people who deserve our remembrance and our praise and our really everything we can offer them, but because of a variety of events are just not well known in modern times. So Kurt, back to you. Actually, I assume you're not using your preemptory challenge? Not after that scolding, Fair no. Enough. Fair enough. All right, you're up, Kurt. Who's our well, next guest? I'm going to continue like I did last time and, and talk about people we all know. This guy was named Phineas Taylor Barnum. Of course, P.T. Barnum. Yes. He was an idea generator. He was an inventor of entertainment. He was an entertainer. He was a promoter, bar none. No one was a promoter like he. He launched his showbiz career, John, with a hoax. His entire showbiz career, he launched with a hoax. He found this old African-American woman named Janice Heath and claimed she was the 161-year-old nanny nurse of George Washington. Oh, clever. And then when people were sort of catching on to him, he said, well, actually, maybe she's an automaton and she's a robot, which she wasn't. And then when she passed away, he charged people again to come first to see her as a 161 year old, then as an automaton. And then they had people come to witness her autopsy, which proved she was only about 80 years old. He also had Jumbo the Elephant, which is where we got the word Jumbo, meaning large from. This guy was amazing. Do you ever wonder if we work too hard and make it too hard to make money? If all we had to do is say this old person was George Washington's awesome. nanny. So speaking of Jumbo the Elephant, you're probably aware that the nickname of Tufts University is... The Jumbos. He was on the board of trustees 
when Jumbo died, by the way, Jumbo died by getting hit by a train in Ontario. He stuffed him, the pachyderm, and gave him to Tufts University. Yes, there is a statue of Jumbo on campus at Tufts. There's also a bar there called the Big Jumbo that I got in trouble in quite a few times in college. That'll be a different episode. Yes. So P.T. Barnum would be a colorful dinner party guest. And I certainly have no objection to having dinner with P.T. Barnum. And how about he sitting next to Dorothy Parker? Well, I actually have a candidate to sit next to Dorothy Parker. But of course, there are two sides to Dorothy Parker's seat. So perhaps my next candidate for a dinner party would be someone who could occupy Dorothy Parker's other side. Are we going to know who this person is or is this another one of these people we've never heard of? I don't know. It's a question of whether you have ever heard of Babe Ruth. I thought you were saying like the Big Lebowski or something, but no, I am going to invite Babe Ruth. Fantastic. No challenge there. Because he is probably the most extraordinary athlete ever to play professional sports. He was a larger than life figure. He was probably the first major celebrity baseball player. He was always up for a hoot and holler in good time. I think before the age of eight, he had tasted whiskey for the first time, as well as chewing tobacco. And he lived a very colorful life. When you look at his exploits on the baseball field itself, since I did declare him perhaps the greatest professional athlete of all time, he was not only an epic hitter, he was the most well-known for owning the all-time major league record for home runs in a career, 714, and hitting titanic home runs. But he was an excellent hitter in all regards. In fact, it's not very well known that he was the best bunter on the Yankees, as well as being a legendary home run hitter. Who knew? I recently knew. And believe it or not, some of his offensive records still stand today. And being a great home run hitter and a great offensive player and a tremendous defensive outfielder is great. But he began his career as a dominant pitcher. He won 23 games for the Red Sox on a couple of occasions. He actually was part of three World Series winners for the Red Sox. There is the curse of the Bambino, one of his nicknames, because when he was sold to the Yankees because the Red Sox owner needed some money, the Red Sox went 86 years between winning World Series, and it was referred to in Boston as the curse of the Bambino. He is incorrigible in a lot of ways and perhaps be a heck of a lot of fun at our dinner party. I want to mention that the idea for inviting Babe Ruth came up in a conversation with my friend and chiropractor, Dr. Mark Pizer. And if you live in the Connecticut, Westchester, greater New York City area and ever need a chiropractor, I've known the man for a very long time. I swear by him. Call up Dr. Mark Pizer, and he gets credit for suggesting Babe Ruth at our dinner party. He's also a listener of the podcast. Babe Ruth would be tremendous. The guy would drink all of Dorothy's gin martinis, I think, and he'd probably belch at the table and flatulate, but he would be unbelievable. Do you know his, what number he was? He won number three. Do you know why? Tell me. Because back then, they actually didn't have numbers, and then yeah. he, the Yankees were the first team to have numbers, yeah. and the numbers were what number you batted in order. Right. So Lou Gehrig was four. Four. Yeah. yeah. So yes, they were the first to have numbers, and It's also worth mentioning that people think he was immortalized by the Baby Ruth bar. 
But the makers of the Baby Ruth bar insist it was named after, you'll appreciate this, insist it was named after Ruth Cleveland, right. the daughter of the former president, Grover Cleveland. Right. The only president to be elected, then not, and then elected again four years later. We better hurry up because we're already cranking on time here and we've only had four guests. All right. We're going to have eight total. So you go for guest number three on your list. Okay. Well... When I thought of Phineas Taylor Barnum, the way my brain works, the word Phileas came up. So I'm going to pick Phileas Fogg as my next guest. Phileas Fogg, of course, is the fictional character in Around the World in 80 Days. He was based on an American explorer, but he's the one, which I thought would be very cool. He didn't worry about things. His main philosophy in life was never worry about things beyond your control but leave no stone unturned if they are in your control. And I think that's a cool, cool philosophy. This guy went around the world. He gets back to win his huge bet in London at the club. And he thinks, oh, no, I missed it by a day. But he didn't mind because he rescued this woman from India. He had all these great adventures. He didn't care about losing his huge bet. And then they found out, aha, we crossed the international date line. We gained a day. And he also got the money. Phileas Fogg. Phileas Fogg. Well, I don't really feel like using my preemptory challenge there, but I am hoping to use it. So I well, you can go back and challenge somebody, that one if you want later. I hope you have somebody marginal. Nope. All right. My next guest has been called the first lady of television mm-hmm. and the queen of comedy. Mm-hmm. None other than one Lucille Ball. Love it. She would be wonderful. The problem is if we had chocolates for dinner, dessert, she'd eat all of them. That is a great scene in I Love Lucy, which is an iconic and epic and groundbreaking show. As much as people appreciate who Lucille was, Lucille Ball was in front of the camera, I think what I came to learn about her was just how remarkable she was behind the camera. I Love Lucy was responsible for inventing the live studio audience using more than one camera and having distinct sets adjacent to one another. She also became the first woman to head a TV production company, Desilu, which was a combination of Desi Arnaz, her husband for a time, and Lucy, so Desilu. Desilu went on to produce all sorts of amazing television shows that you and I know really well, like Mission Impossible and Star Trek. So she was an epic executive as well as being the queen of comedy. Awesome. Guess how many times she was on the cover of TV Guide, Kurt? 27. That is a very credible and workmanlike guess. It's wrong, but it's really a good guess. 39 times she was on the cover of TV Guide. So I thought was amazing about her because we all watched it as kids was not only her delivery and everything else, but she was the first, at least that I saw, that brought all these unbelievable facial expressions with her eyes and her mouth and this. And I think I could see sitting across from the dinner table with her, Babe Ruth saying something untoward and the reaction on her face would be phenomenal. Well, you know what? I've actually, I'm glad you mentioned that for two reasons. One is our listeners don't know this because this is a podcast, but you probably have the most flexible and expressive face I've come across in real life. What? A lot of pictures of you from different events we were a part of. And you have one seriously expressive face. One more thing about Lucille Ball. She insisted that Desi Arnaz, her then husband, 
play her husband on the show. The studio didn't want that because he was a Cuban. And they didn't think the world was ready for basically a mixed marriage by the then current standards. But she would not do the show if he were not cast as her husband. So we have Lucille Ball. We have the Polish Schindler. We have George Herman Babe Ruth. We have P.T. Barnum. We have Phileas Fogg. We have Dorothy Parker. This is shaping up to be one hell of a dinner. So my next guest and you can see the way my brain works. So I went from Dorothy Parker to P.T. Barnum, from P.T. Barnum, because his name was Phineas, to Phileas Fogg. Phileas Fogg was a big adventure. And I was thinking about people leading people around the world. And I came to someone who I would love to sit next to. And she can speak English because she was a big translator. I'm talking of Sacagawea. Ah, very nice. Lewis and Clark, right? Yep. She was part of the Shoshone tribe. She was captured by another tribe at the age of 12. She was sold into a marriage at 13 to this French trapper by the name of Charbonneau. What were you doing at 13, Kurt? Were you being sold into marriage? uh, Not at 13, no. That was when I was 11. But that was a different story for a different time. Then they hook up with Lewis and Clark to take them over the Rockies. She gives birth. She was the only woman and she gave birth and she was translating and she led them over the Rockies and she showed them how to eat food. They had to eat tallow of candles at one point because they had no food. When they got over, she found like different herbs that she knew to feed them. Unbelievable person. Yeah, I think she ended up leading Lewis and Clark like a thousand miles and she did it with a baby. Proving once again that women are just better and stronger and more capable than your garden variety male specimen. Sacagawea, John. Did you bring up agriculture when you were just talking about spices and having to discover foodstuffs? Yes. Is that why your next guest did something? Oh, yeah. That's called a transition, baby. And sometimes we have those. And many times we don't have those, Kurt. But my next candidate is Norman Borlaug. And if you were impressed by the Paul Schindler saving Challenge. What's that? Challenge. You don't even know who he is. Don't you think you should give him enough respect to hear about him first? Yes. I'm about to make you look foolish. Usually that's your department, but I'm going to say it's not hard to do. Would you like to use your preemptory challenge for someone who has been referred to as the man who saved a billion lives? (laughs) Go ahead, Kurt. Whip out that preemptory challenge. And anyway, he is actually one of seven people who have won the Nobel Peace Prize, the Presidential Medal of Freedom, and the Congressional Gold Medal, which is pretty amazing. What's that thing that entertainers can win? Like the EGOT? Is that what it's called? If you win the Emmy, the Grammy, the Oscar, and the Tony? He won the Agricultural Scientific Intellectual EGOT in a big way. So what he came up with was a way to develop this high-yield, disease-resistant wheat variety, and then he brought it, and it was like mid-20th century, and then he introduced this incredibly high-yielding food to Mexico, Pakistan, and India. Okay. So... Hang on. He's probably saving over a billion people from starvation. Please comment away, Kurt. I think I would love to honor this guy. I think I would like to donate to his charity. I think I'd like to be in the audience clapping when he gets the award. I do not want to be sitting at a dinner party next to him. I want to hear Babe Ruth and Dorothy Parker 
chug beers together laughing while Osceola Ball thinks makes a funny face at them. And P.T. Barnum is trying to get people to come in and pay for it to watch it. It says a lot about you that someone who actually won the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> Getting challenged. Out. And the con- Congressional Gold Medal is being kicked out of our dinner party because he's too accomplished and serious and thoughtful for you. N- not because he's too accomplished. It's because... I don't know what he's going to add to the conversation except make me feel bad about the rare steak I'm serving. Why would he make you feel bad? He grows wheat. I'm sure there'll be plenty of wheat products there. All right, fine. So do I go again now since you kicked out my candidate? Yep. All right, there's no way you're kicking this one out for two reasons. One, I can't. you wouldn't want to. And two, you, you cannot. So if I wanted to bring the evergreen from in front of my house to dinner, Ain't nothing you can do about it. Nope. I'm going to invite. I might pine for better conversation. (laughs) I'm going to invite somebody that there's no way you would have used your challenge against, which is too bad. Would I? I should exploit. What's that? Would I? Okay. You're having fun. All right. I am going to invite Tony Soprano. Awesome. In. Love it. So there are a bunch of reasons why I want Tony there. One to get to know what it's like to hang out with a mob boss would be pretty cool. But also, he was an incredibly important television character in a lot of ways. He was the first of these morally challenged anti-heroes that we sort of fell in love with and became fascinated with. And even though he lived a life that was very different than most people live, he still had a lot of the same problems that we have, having to go to a shrink, dealing with kids. He had sort of a regular life as well that we all could relate to. And when you think of all of the characters that were probably made possible by Tony Soprano, for example, Don Draper of Mad Men was a similar morally challenged, very likable, anti-hero kind of guy. So Matthew Weiner, who wrote and produced Mad Men, you know, worked on The Sopranos. And then there are characters like, you know, Brian Cranston's Walter White character from Breaking Bad. So it really launched a whole... Fred Flintstone? Fred Flintstone, who was, was a bit clearer morally than the other guys. And the other reason I would love to have him there, I'd like to know what really happened at the end of The Sopranos <laughs> when everything went dark. Were you killed in that moment or did your life go on as it had? And it was such a weird ending that a lot of people thought their cable had gone out. So I'd like to have Tony Soprano at our dinner party, Kurt, so we could ask him, what the hell happened? Plus, I also think he'd be intrigued by the other guests, and he'd be a good conversationalist. And they'd be intrigued by him. Dorothy Parker would get something out of him. Boy, and you know what? P.T. Barnum might put him on display. Love it. All right. We need to wrap up. Happy 50th podcast episode, Kurt, to you. And to all of our listeners. John, it is a true pleasure to do this with you. And congratulations on setting through 50 of these with me. It's amazing. And then we get to sit through them in post-production as well. And we have to hear them again. Aha. In any event, thank you to all of our listeners. Please share the Smart Dribble love with anyone that you feel like sharing it with so we can grow Smart Dribble Nation. Kurt and I will be back next week with a brand new episode, number 51 of Smart Dribble. Until then, we hope your life is filled with smart dribble. Goodbye, everybody. Ciao.